Welcome friends, you're watching The Conversation. And this is, in my opinion, a very special episode of the show. I'm hosting because I wanted an opportunity to get to know Dr. Rashad Ritchie a little better for myself, but also to introduce him to the members of our audience who might not be familiar with him just yet. Dr. Rashad Ritchie is a new host over at TYT Network with his new show, Indisputable. Dr. Ritchie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Dream come true, by the way. I've been a fan of yours for a long time. And because you started so young, right? I feel like you've been my professor teaching me the progressive arts for a while. Good to be with you. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I've heard so many wonderful things about you from colleagues, from viewers of our show who have written in. And I really wanted an opportunity to just get to know you, you know, not just in the news world, but who you are as a person, what drives you, what motivates you. But before we get to all of that, you do have this new show on TYT called Indisputable. We do have a reel to show the audience and, you know, share a little bit of visuals with them so they understand what the show is about. But when we come back, I want you to tell me what your vision is for the show as well. Let's take a quick look at this reel. Welcome to Dr. Rashad Richard Indisputable. This is going to be quite interesting. I don't know if you can handle this much truth. On any day of the week, the unrest inside of the black community and communities that support them is because these cops are not held accountable. You have a family calling 911 and that family is expecting help, not expecting their loved one to be killed by the very people they pay to protect and serve them. Did you ever notice a cop that you worked with call any black person the N-word or target people because they were black? Nope. But we disagree that somehow police officers are not also Maybe subject you to the same systemic biases and racism as any other level of law enforcement. Hey, it sounds like for everybody's need who wants to crucify the cops without looking at it. No, I'm crucify I'm bad cops, brother. Of bad course cops. Cops. That We don't need the government to step into our lives mandating that we should be wearing a mask. You uh -oh. You putting on a mask tray is government intrusion, but you don't think the government telling a woman what she can or cannot do with her body is, is, is a government intrusion. Where does life begin? You want to go there? I can read it to you, bro. You seem very well prepared. Certainly more Of course, prepared. why would I not be well prepared? They don't stop, I don't stop. Racism won't stop, I won't stop. Systemic bias won't stop, I won't stop. People still need health care, so I won't stop. People still need criminal justice systems reform throughout this country, so I won't stop, and you won't stop either. Oh, I loved that. I especially loved all the various clips of you debating people. Um, and my favorite thing whenever you're in the middle of a debate and you're feeling yourself, right? Is when someone you're debating tells you, all right, I guess you're well prepared. It's the best feeling in the world. Um, and you certainly yeah. are well prepared. So tell me about your vision for the show. You know, first of all, let me say thank you to the TYT crew for putting all of that together. TYT has some of the most talented. Uh, people on the planet, uh, and you all lead with your heart. So I'm thankful for that. Um, the show itself, Indisputable, uh, means not to contend with. And the reason why we call the show Indisputable is because we lay out facts, we provide context, we provide data. Um, I really believe, just like every single person watching this sh uh, show virtually, uh, we believe that progressive solutions solve actual problems, problems that people face every day. So not only will we talk about progressive solutions, I'm willing to debate those solutions with anybody who's willing to step into the ring. For the first week, we already have conservatives to debate me on particular topics. But we also got people like US Senator John Ossoff, 
We have my big homie Killer Mike uh, and some other surprises. That's just in the launch week. Um, so we're looking to have that kind of atmosphere, that kind of show where we're able to stand up for the truth we, we believe and we're able to defend it based on practical uh, statistical data and experience and history. You know, when you have the facts on your side and you're willing to speak truth to power, debating is actually one of the more fun activities to engage in, in our industry at least. So I exactly. love that you're incorporating that in your show. You know, when did you realize in your life that you had a passion for politics? Like, was there a specific moment or were you gradually politicized? You know, my introduction to politics was actually through policy, the way I think it should be. When I was a kid, I was a teenager and a foster kid. I went through five, six foster environments. Um, I got caught up in gang activity in the city of Atlanta, was raised on those rough streets. At the age of 17, uh, caught a felony charge. And Georgia had just changed the law to where 17 year olds were adults in the state of Georgia. <laughs> I didn't know this when I was in the back of this police cruiser and he's not taking me to juvenile, but he's taking me to grown up jail. And that's when this cop explained to me that the Georgia law had actually changed and I was no longer considered a minor. Now, the reason why that law was passed, which was championed by Democrats and Republicans in Georgia back then, it was passed to criminalize young, black, misguided youth. They wanted to provide a law enforcement answer, not a rehabilitation answer, and thus the law was passed. Well, there was also this district attorney named J. Tom Morgan. This DA was a little more progressive than his Democratic colleagues. He created a rule at the DA's office that said, I don't care what the crime is, if they're 17, they're going to get the First Offenders Act. And that First Offenders Act will give them a mentoring program. And that mentoring program will help them get their GED or get into college or get a job. That's what he did. He did this by way of policy because he did not like the policy of the state, but he was powerless to change the law. It was through that policy. That's the reason why today I'm felony free. Today I have a significant college background and I'm literally a university professor and department chair at the same college I used to gang bang outside of. So that gave me my policy introduction, which was my politics introduction as well. Uh, wow, that's that's really an incredible story. And you know, when I think about it in my own context, uh, my my husband is cr currently mentoring. I mean, he's not mentoring anymore because uh, this young man, Dimitri, is now an adult. Uh, and so, but they still have this great relationship. And Dimitri came from a broken home. He also was in and out of the juvenile you know system. And there was a program that he was able to be uh, put into that offered. Uh, a more rehabilitative approach as a as a you know as opposed to this punitive approach that we're seeing all across the country and he has a passion for music and he's now this incredible independent young adult and it shows you that progressive policies do work there just needs to be a will to fight for those policies and what That's I'm right. what I'm a little concerned about and I'm not sure if you've noticed this as well Rashad we're really split in the country right now because on one hand you have the Black Lives Matter movement, which has been successful in a number of different ways. I think that the changing rhetoric on 
Israeli aggression is partly due to Black Lives Matter. And you know, they popularized the phrase defund the police. And then on the other hand, you have unfortunately a rise in crime and progressive policymakers are not fighting hard enough to provide an option in lieu of the tough on crime measures that have been so disastrous for decades. Are you at all concerned that if progressives don't fight harder, we're actually gonna revert back to these 1990s style tough on crime policies that have actually destroyed so many lives? Hell yeah, I'm concerned. And and here's the thing, progressive policies, that's your avenue to rehabilitation, not the tough on crime. There is not a city in the United States of America that has been able to arrest themselves out of social economic dysfunction. When you look at criminality, criminality is an expression of social economic dysfunction in that local community. You don't lock people up to change that reality. If your city or county brags about hiring more cops, your city and county, they have failed you because they have admitted they have no idea how to address the underlying issues that lead to criminality, such as poverty, addiction, alcoholism, mental health disorders, crimes of survival, etc. They don't know how to address any of that stuff. Let's go to Ithaca, New York. Ithaca, New York, they saw based on the survey that 51% of all of their 911 calls did not even need a cop. They needed a social worker. So Ithaca, New York started to change their policy to where now after every two cops are dismissed, one must be replaced by a social worker or somebody who works in that particular field. That is responsive, that's how you start responding. Marilyn Mosby in Baltimore, even though she's not, I would not consider her a hardcore progressive, she is progressive on some things. She said last year when COVID hit, I'm no longer going to arrest individuals or prosecute individuals for minor offenses. Everybody in the law enforcement community said, ma'am, you have lost your mind. Crime is going to go out of control. You need to check these minor crimes in order to stop them from doing the big crimes. You know what happened? In Baltimore, crime decreased by double digits across the entire board, including violent crimes, murders went down, incarceration fell by 39%. Now she's being praised Mm. and now that temporary policy is a permanent policy and it has received very little national attention. But that is a progressive policy and they not only stopped arresting individuals with these minor crimes, they provided opportunities for them to heal, for them to connect with social workers, for them to connect with rehabilitation centers. And it allowed cops the opportunity to combat real crime. And that's why you see the decrease across the board. We need more people with vision and law enforcement to do things like that moving forward. thoughts on how the Biden administration has handled police reform so far. The one year anniversary of George Floyd's murder was just this week. And previously Biden had said that he wanted to see police reform legislation on his desk by that day, by May 25th. Obviously that didn't happen because we have an incredibly dysfunctional, broken congressional system where you can't get obviously GOP lawmakers to ever negotiate and do the right thing. But on the left, you know, with Democrats, you also have this 
I like to call it a certain level of fecklessness. I think that there's also quite a bit of corruption as well that leads them to serve the best interests of donors as opposed to the best interests of their constituents. But you know, Cedric Richmond, who's a White House advisor, just gave an interview to the Huffington Post, and he just gave this series of non-answers about. You know, yeah, the Biden administration is is happy to help in any way that we can, but you know, we believe in Congress. Congress is working on it. They're going to get it done. You know, he had an optimistic tone. What is your response to that? I'm so sick and damn tired of Biden's leadership. I don't know what to do. Right. Uh, and this is coming from a guy that used to be the political director of the Georgia Democratic Party and their chief strategist. I've worked with the DNC uh, over the course of my political lifetime. Biden is a corporate Democrat. Biden is an institutionalist. Yes, Biden has a soul. Let, let me let me make sure I make myself clear. Mm-hmm. Biden is not soulless like Donald Trump, okay? But Biden is still a creature, a political creature who has political habits. He is either A, unwilling to lead from the front or B, um, he doesn't want to. It's one or the other uh, because all of this, let, let me lead from behind leadership when it comes to massive social legislation that will actually determine the soul of this country. Uh, He's losing that battle, and if he loses that battle, if he does not do something and do it loudly and quickly, he's going to lose the future battles for Democrats who seek office in this country. People came out with an agenda. Nobody voted for Biden because they were excited about Biden. They (laughs) voted for Biden because they were excited about an agenda. And part of that agenda was contrary to the agenda of the monster who occupied the White House for four years. If you don't deliver that agenda, you are no good to those who put you in power. That's how this works. It's politics, it's chess, not checkers. Mm-hmm. The pieces of the, of the board must move in a certain way and they all serve an agenda. He's the president of the United States. If he's unable to provide leadership and he continues to bow down to President Manchin, then we won't get anywhere with the massive policies that they promised us if we gave them a Democrat in the White House. So let's play a little a little fantasy world. It's one of my favorite games and it'll give the audience okay. a chance to get to know you. So if you were in Biden's shoes and you had the power to really pressure Senator Joe Manchin, what would your strategy be? How would you do it? I'm so glad you asked that question because I have said this before. Number one, I would tell Joe Manchin, I will primary your behind out of the Democratic Party. That's what I would do. I know people will say, well, that means a Republican will lose or will win the general election because he's the only Democrat that can win a general election. I don't care. Mm-hmm. He's a Democrat, he's a Democrat in name only. If you're not serving the agenda of the Democratic Party, I will come after you and put pressure on you. Here's the reality of Manchin. Manchin is not a transformational political figure. He's a transactional political figure. This is transactional to him. So now I must evolve or devolve, however you want to look at it, into a transactional leader when I deal with him. And here's the transaction. Either you get on board with this progressive policy, or you don't have to worry about a general election. You won't make it out of a Democratic primary. That's the game I would play with him. And beyond that, if I were President of the United States, I would executive order the hell out of everything until the Supreme Court told me it was against the law. Mm -hmm. That's the way I would play it. 
I know that this requires quite a bit of speculation, but why do you think Biden has refused to hold Manchin's feet to the fire in any way, shape or form? Do you think it's because he wants to be this friendly, agreeable guy? Or do you think that he's really hiding behind Manchin and actually genuinely likes the fact that Manchin is willing to serve as an obstacle to passing I guess more progressive policy or more federal funding on policies that we desperately need. I think it's a little bit of both. I think he enjoys Manchin being there so that the filibuster argument doesn't move forward. I think he would prefer to have Joe Manchin on his side with criminal justice reform, but take out qualified immunity. So I think Manchin is a double edged sword and I think Biden appreciates his his leadership inside of the Democratic Party, even though it's contrary to some of his of, of his proposed values or what he campaigned on. The problem with this kind of leadership is that you have to then be dishonest. Biden has to campaign on one thing while secretly being okay with something else. And that's not the era we're living in anymore. We're, we're tired of politicians who are not authentic individuals to the values that we believe. And if Biden is going to continue down this road, He is going to hurt every Democrat and yes, even progressives who are around him because they are trying to seek actual transformation while he simply plays the institutional game. And I think the second part of this is Biden is an institutional president where he believes that presidents should not do certain things because of the institution of the office. And that's why he won't step beyond certain boundaries. It's time out for that. You're you're leading in this century, not in the 1990s. And the sooner he learns that lesson, which may happen, the sooner he can start leading from the front. You know, one of the things that has kind of exited the media cycle, and it's depressing to see it, is Georgia's voter suppression law. It got a lot of attention. You had some of these corporations based out of Georgia stand up and at least rhetorically reject the law. But now the media has kind of stopped covering it. And we're also seeing similar proposals and similar legislation in other red states that had flipped to Joe Biden during the general election. Can you talk a little bit about what you're experiencing in Georgia on the ground, if anything at all? Is there any activism trying to push back against this law? Democracy works by voters picking the politicians. In this instance, the politician is trying to pick the voter. In the state of Georgia, we have worked for years to stop these proposals. These proposals, they went into this extreme when Donald Trump lost the presidency, right? What's happening on the ground? You have lawsuits being filed, but you also have a massive education campaign because we have to fight on two fronts now. We have to educate people on what the new law is, and we have to make sure we still fight the law that exists. And so you have a massive education campaign by organizations like the NAACP, even Stacey Abrams group, the New Georgia Project and others are fighting for that education campaign. But then you have the lawsuit game. You have suits being filed that says, you know, this is unconstitutional. Well, those suits are still being heard. They have not all been kicked out. But once again, it shows that under a purely democratic system, These individuals cannot win elections. They can't win elections with actual voters or the actual democratic process 
because their ideas don't connect with people. Mm-hmm. And, and instead of them coming up with ideas, they have decided to come up with a grand idea. And that's to select who actually votes in this democracy. I mean, Rashad, you look at the Republican Party and even right wing media and the only thing they have to offer to their constituents and viewers is more of the culture war. In fact, today as I was driving into work, I was listening to a segment. Don't ask me why, but I was listening to Tucker Carlson interview some oh my God. right wing religious you know, zealot. And the guy was talking about, I mean, it sounded like I was listening to an interview from the 1990s. It was just so overplayed and not in any way interesting. It was just recycling the same culture war that we've seen in the GOP for decades now. So it doesn't surprise me that considering that they don't have anything else to offer that's actually popular, they would have to honestly rig the whole electoral system to their advantage through gerrymandering, through these voter suppression laws. and States like Georgia, it's just it gives you a sense of who they are and and what they're willing to do to undermine democracy in order to remain in power, maintain power. I'm not saying I want Democrats to be anything like that, but I would like to see more of a fight in them. You know, a willingness to fight ethically, but fight hard. And we're just, you know, I wish I saw more Democrats like you in Congress, to be honest. Someone who's willing to get in the ring and and fight to get things done. We have a few more minutes left, so I wanted to ask you some personal questions, just some fun questions. What do you what do you like to do during your free time? I don't have free time. Um, So let me tell you what my work schedule is. I wake up at 5 a.m. every morning. Um, I'm with my production team for my radio show at 6 a.m. I'm on air from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. I run a magazine after that. Uh, Then I'm with you guys. Uh, And then after I'm with you guys, um, I'm back uh, typically um, on air doing a lot of different interviews for whatever we're talking about around the country. Uh, And then I'm in law school. Uh, and and law school is usually from 6 p.m. until 10, 10:30 p.m. Wow. at night. And in between that, I lecture at three universities. Yes, I, I that's, crazy. that's crazy. That's crazy. That's insane. And it's seven days a week. Wow, wow, Rashad. I'm so. I'm honestly, we're honored to have you here with us and to have you as part of the team. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for taking some time out of your day to talk to me and get to know me and give me an opportunity to get to know you. Everyone, please check out Dr. Rashad Ritchie's show. It's titled Indisputable, and you can check it out at youtube.com slash indisputable tyt. That's youtube.com slash indisputable tyt. Make sure you subscribe to the channel, and you can also check it out on all the other platforms we have, including Twitch. I've been watching some of your clips over there. It's just absolutely wonderful. Rashad, thank you again. It's been a pleasure, thank you.